going to be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 27 and 28, chapter 27 commencing verse 62 then through the whole of chapter 28 about this beautiful account of our Lord's rising. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised, that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated amongst the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father, we just thank you for that beautiful promise that Jesus has left and gave that day, that he is with us all to the end of the age. Amen. Thanks for reading for us, John. Well, there was a story in the papers a few years ago uh, about a man who'd inherited $26 million. 
Sounds all right, doesn't it? Just an ordinary bloke from Western Australia. And he found out that somehow he was going to inherit the fortune left to him by an old lady in London. Now, of course, there's taxes and, and fees to be paid on that sort of amount, which naturally he had to pay before he could get his hands on it. And before he knew it, he'd spent a large part of his savings. But surely, you know, just a drop in the ocean compared to the megabucks he'd soon be rolling in. Except, as you probably guessed, it was a lie. It was a hoax, a scam. An elaborate con dressed up to sound like the truth. There was no fortune, just clever criminals who knew exactly how to make lies sound like the truth. And in the end, he had to face it that he'd traded $700,000 of his savings for a lie. And the thing is, when it comes to this Easter story of Jesus' resurrection, someone has to be telling a lie. The chief priests reckon it's Jesus and his disciples. They call him a deceiver, that he's not the son of God that he claimed to be, and they're worried that his disciples are going to carry on the lie. Yet it's these same chief priests who then end up paying off the soldiers to change their testimony about what they saw, as we'll see later. So who do you reckon is lying? The chief priests with their bribes, or Jesus, and all those resurrection witnesses, the women at his tomb, the guards, the disciples who went on to go, most of them went to their deaths upholding this testimony, and hundreds of other witnesses at the time. You see, somewhere else in the Bible, uh, another follower of Jesus, Paul, says that if Jesus did not rise from the dead... Our faith is useless. We might as well all go home. If the resurrection's a lie, we should give up now. But if the resurrection is true, well, that shows that Jesus really is God, that he really does have all authority, authority to forgive you and authority to call you to submit to him as king of your life. If Jesus' resurrection is real, then it's our culture that's trying to con us. Con us with the lie that Jesus did not rise from death. So you don't need to worry about any claims of authority he makes. Somebody in this gospel account is lying. You can't have it both ways. Either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. So bear that in mind as we look at the evidence presented by Matthew in this biography, this gospel. And then we'll think about if Jesus really was resurrected, what does that mean? So I've just chunked it into four. Resurrection prevention, resurrection witnesses, resurrection cover-up, and resurrection meaning. So prevention, witnesses, cover-up, meaning. So let's get into it. First, the resurrection prevention. So the chief priests, they're the religious leaders, the religious authorities, and they've seen Jesus' miracles. They've seen his amazing teaching. But instead of coming to the obvious conclusion that Jesus is who he says he is, God's long-promised rescuer king, the Messiah, instead, they've declared him to be a liar and a fraud. That's why they've convinced the Romans to crucify him. Because Jesus threatened their power 
and they're worried that even dead, he's still a threat. And so they go fawning to their sworn enemy, Pilate, from verse 63. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. So all I've got to do is get to day four, and then all this Jesus business will be over. He'll be proven to be a liar. Verse 65, take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So now it's impossible for anyone to steal Jesus' body. And even if they do try, they'll be rounded up and in just as much trouble as Jesus was. So ironically, in trying to prevent a false resurrection claim, what the chief priests have helped us with is to know that their lie later on that Jesus' body was stolen, can't be true. Because next we get the resurrection witness. So that was resurrection prevention. Resurrection witness now. Have you ever been somewhere uh, expecting one thing and getting something completely different? So maybe you turn up a party and you're the only one not in dress-up, or even worse, you're the only one in dress-up. Or maybe you've gone to see a movie that you thought was a rom-com, only to find out it was about the zombie apocalypse or something. I remember when I went to see Titanic, that's three hours of my life, you won't get that. When I went to see Titanic, I genuinely heard someone in the audience at the end say, oh, I didn't expect it to finish like that. (laughs) Well, imagine then, these women who were returning to Jesus empty tomb, how they felt. So there they are, going to pay their respects in customary fashion. After They were the very ones that laid Jesus out on Friday. So the news is definitely dead. And then suddenly, in verse 2, from chapter 28, verse 2, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So last time we saw an angel of the Lord in Matthew's biography of Jesus was to Joseph before Jesus was born, telling him to name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And earthquakes in the Bible Uh, always mean that God is acting powerfully. So this is like when you watch a movie and it starts thundering and lightning. You know something dramatic is going to happen. Matthew's letting us know this is the major event, the turning point of history. All those predictions in the Bible about the Messiah, God's promised rescuer king, are coming true. On verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. 
Jesus who was crucified. So not some spirit Jesus, not some other version of Jesus, but the same Jesus who was nailed to a Roman cross and had a spear stuck in his side. That is who is risen. And notice he doesn't say he's risen in spirit form or his soul has risen or the idea of him has risen in your minds. No, it's his body's not there anymore because he's risen from the dead. Come and have a look. So suddenly, all those claims of Jesus about being able to forgive sin, about being the son of God, they don't seem quite so far-fetched anymore. He said he was going to rise, and he has. And maybe you're here today because like those women, you've come to pay your respects. So you're not consciously against Jesus. You think he was a good guy. You respect other people for believing in him. But you're not really expecting any life-changing encounter with him, any new life. And to all intents and purposes... You're treating Jesus like any other historical figure, like he's dead. Will your encounter with this risen Jesus today change anything for you? These women are friends of Jesus for the last three years. The same women who dressed his crucified body and knew he'd been definitely dead. They become the very first people in history to see the risen Jesus. Verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. (laughs) This is his first word. Hello. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. So this is not A ghost? This is not a floaty vision like Yoda, Ben, and Anakin at the end of Return of the Jedi. They touched his feet. However different Jesus' resurrected body is, it's still recognizably him, still physically real, prompting the women to fall down and worship him. So nobody's confused in this account, are they? The testimony of those close friends of Jesus is, we saw Jesus die, we definitely buried him, we saw the tomb that was sealed with a heavy stone and guarded, we saw that opened by an angel, and we met Jesus, touched him, and he spoke with us. They're very clear about what's happened. So somebody's lying Either these resurrection witnesses are lying, and we should just give up now, or those denying that this happened are lying, and we should take Jesus' resurrection seriously. So let's have a look at the resurrection cover-up. Resurrection cover-up. You see, when Jesus was dying on the cross, the chief priests had yelled at him, they yelled up at him mockingly, Let him come down now from the cross and then we'll believe in him. And yet now, presented with a greater miracle than that, with Jesus' resurrection from the dead, they're the ones proven liars because they still 
refused to believe. See, if Jesus is risen, the obvious thing for them to do is put their hands up and say, do you know what? We got Jesus wrong and submit to him. But instead, they're still trying to change reality and they organize a cover-up. From verse 12, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. They want to suppress the truth through the lies, buying off the soldiers. It's not even a very good lie. You know, it wouldn't get past a bloke in the pub, never mind Poirot. You know, how would they know it was the disciples who took the body if they were asleep? It's a pretty rubbish lie, really, isn't it? But is that where you're at today? Do you have an inkling that this story about Jesus is true, but you push the th- such thoughts to the back of your mind, file them under, or I'll worry about that some other time. Because to confront the reality now would be too, well, that would change everything. The chief priest's lies show that they were never really interested in whether Jesus was true or not. They pre-decided that they were against him whatever the evidence. So I'm asking you not to do that. Please don't prejudge Jesus. Consider the evidence carefully instead. And someone might say to, to me or other Christians, well, of course you believe this stuff. You, you know, me personally, I grew up in a Christian family. You know, I've been fed these ideas since childhood, and you could assume I've just taken them on second hand. Assume them to be true. But that's not what I'm asking anyone to do. I'm asking you to question everything, investigate it. Because these days, the most prevalent untested second-hand belief is not a second-hand belief in Christianity. It's a second-hand belief in atheism. That's the, the mainstream belief that is accepted and not scrutinized. Uh, that and the assumption that nothing miraculous can happen, a theory which in itself can't be proven scientifically. All I'm saying is, give Jesus a fair go like he would anything else. Because someone here is lying. It's either those resurrection witnesses or the chief priests. You can't have it both ways. But if it really did happen, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, what does it mean? Let's have a look at our resurrection meaning, our last heading. You see, none of this was a surprise to Jesus. He'd been predicting his death and resurrection for ages. And he'd even set up a rendezvous point with his team, um, the disciples, up north in Galilee. And he keeps his promise and meets them there. And the Bible tells us that although they all turned up, It wasn't a straightforward experience for them. So chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, because Judas has gone by now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. Some of these same men who'd spent three years with Jesus found it hard to believe. 
Do you find it hard to believe? Because Matthew records that those closest to Jesus, they found it hard as well. And if you're not a believer here today, I'd love to help you explore Christianity. I reckon everyone owes it to themselves to thoroughly investigate Jesus at least once in their life. Carefully, openly, at your own speed. No questions off the table. Because either Christians are believing a lie or unbelievers are. And what's at stake, if we're right, is how you spend eternity. But let's suppose, for now, Jesus really was resurrected from the dead. So what? What does it mean? What does it prove? There are lots of things we could say. Read 1 Corinthians 15 for more about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15. But this is where Matthew, what Matthew tells us, the emphasis he gives. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority over everything and everyone in all creation. Jesus is saying, I am God. And anyone could claim that, and lots of people have, you know, I'm God, I'm in charge of everything. But Jesus has actually demonstrated it physically by rising from the dead. You see, to understand resurrection, we need to understand death. Excuse me. To understand resurrection, we need to understand death. Because whatever people say they believe, nobody lives life as if lives life as if this is all there is. We all live life as if it counts for something more than hopefully a hundred years or less more than the duration of our mortal life. And yet, death inevitably comes knocking. And all this COVID and things like that simply bring to the foreground what we tend to hide away in hospitals or in nursing homes. That sooner or later, everyone's number is up. But that always feels like it wasn't supposed to be this way. Like death is an intrusion. Like it's not natural. And the Bible tells us it's not supposed to be this way. Because living forever, eternal life, that goes hand in hand with being in right relationship with God. God's created us on purpose to enjoy his generous loving care. To enjoy a relationship of blissful, perfect, fulfilling purpose and harmony of us knowing the best existence that there is, knowing him as our loving God, as God. But that's the catch that every one of us has rebelled against. See, we like the life bit, but not the God having authority over us bit, however good that life is. We rebel against the idea of someone else calling the shots in our life. So every one of us, in our own way, has withdrawn from that scenario where life belongs, submitting to God's rule, and chosen instead the scenario where we die. And in his authority as our creator, knowing us and loving us better than we can know and love ourselves, God says that death is what our rebellion against him deserves. It's just deserts. 
it's the right thing to happen given what we do. We've moved away from the light and love of loving relationship with God to the darkness and death of seeking to rule ourselves. And we each of us get a sneak preview of that death in different ways. Broken relationships, guilt, regret, or harden our hearts so that we don't feel any of that. And we can deny it, or we can hide from it as much as we like. But in the end, our problem with God is proven when death catches up with us. But Jesus promised that his death was going to pay the price and finally, feel, finally deal with that rebellion. So his resurrection, his returning to life then, means that his suffering and death and separation from God on the cross, it proves that it worked. It did the job of paying our debt, of dying our death for us. If it hadn't, Jesus would have stayed dead. But he didn't. He raised to life. And it shows Jesus to be God because with, with all authority, because he's physically demonstrated authority over the usual defeater, death itself. So how should we respond to this? Well, here's how Jesus told his disciples to respond. So from verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Because Jesus has all authority, that means he rightly deserves everyone's allegiance. And obeying everything he has commanded, that's the obedience of belief, of believing in who he is, what is done, and trusting him as Lord over your life. Following him as a disciple or that's kind of like an apprentice. And we know we can trust that his sacrifice will save us because he rose from the dead. And we know we can trust him with our life because he's the one who gave up his life for us. So everyone can leave here today under Jesus' authority, being made right with God and assured of eternal life with him. All we need to do is trust him to save us, to submit to his authority in place of trying to save ourselves and have the last say for ourselves. Someone is lying to you. Either Jesus didn't rise from the dead and he's just another religion who claims to be true, like all the others do, or he really did rise from the dead, proving our salvation isn't about something we do, but about something he has done for us, proving that he deserves our allegiance. So it won't surprise you to know, I think the evidence that he did rise is pretty compelling. And anyone who has thrown their lot in with Jesus will tell you it's a hard life, but it's a good life. It's the best life there is. You can trust him with your life. Knowing God's forgiveness, knowing everything is good between you and God because of Jesus, 
and having the promise of eternal life, having hope in the face of death. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he submitted to that suffering and death on the cross. And thank you that he was true to his word and was raised from the dead. Thank you that he's with us now, that he guarantees that we're forgiven, that he makes us right with you. So please help us to recognize his authority in our whole life, in our whole direction of life, in all that we do. And we celebrate his resurrection this morning. Amen.